find rest in our God. We're going to look at Psalm 95, and while you're standing, I'd like to read that together. Psalm 95 says this, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands form the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock of his care. Today, if you only would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massah in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me, they tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall not enter my rest. I'd like to talk with you today about rest, how we long for it, and what we can do to find it. But before we do, let's pray. God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather. We thank you for the opportunity to rejoice and to worship you. There is no one beside you. There is no one who compares. There is no one else worthy of our song than you. And God, we ask now in this time, as we look into your word, that you would help us. Help us to see what you have for us. Help me to speak clearly what you have for us here today. That you would help us rejoice in who you are and find rest in your name. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you sit down, will you say to your neighbor, it's time to rest. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's time to rest. It's time to rest. Just don't get too comfortable, please. Don't get too comfortable. My name is Jason Martin, and I want to welcome you here to Pathway. It's so great to have you here. Whether you're watching online right now, or you're watching on our Moon Campus, or in our classic venue, or right here in the live auditorium, I want to thank you for being here with me and with us as we conclude our series in the book of Psalms. And if you haven't turned there already, will you turn to Psalm 95? Psalms is the biggest book in the Bible. So if you don't know where Psalms 95 is, a good, uh, good way you could probably find it is just take your Bible and open up right in the middle, and you're probably going to be in the book of Psalms. And there might be a really good chance that you might be close to Psalm 95. If you still can't find it, check it out on the table of contents. You'll see uh, where the book of Psalms is. Also, you can follow along with us in our YouVersion app. On the Pathway app, you can get directions there. Follow along with the text and with the outline. We're going to be in Psalm 95, but we're also going to be in all sorts of places throughout the scriptures, and I hope that uh, we can move through that and yet receive what God has for us. We're going to talk about rest today, and I think we all need it. I was at a soccer game, uh, one of my kids' soccer games, Jalen uh, soccer game, this last couple days ago, and I was talking with a fellow dad of the team, and he, uh, somehow we got in this conversation about how he and his wife were only about four years away from having an empty nest. And he seemed so exhausted, like he was ready for those four years to get wrapped up. And you know I have eight kids, right? <laughs> he knows I have eight kids too. 
And I started to think and started to try and do the math, because he had four years. I was trying to think, do the math. When would, when, when would I be at that empty nest stage? And, and I just gave up. I just, I just stopped. I just I didn't even think, you know, I could even figure it out, and it would be maybe too much to think about. Uh, we, we did just drop off our oldest daughter, Hallie, uh, to her second year of college in California. She just, uh, she just w- went there. Uh, but we do have a four-year-old who just started her last year of preschool a few days ago. And Opal was really excited to, to start uh, preschool. Um, but it also speaks to how long we've got to go before we have an empty nest. There's about six other kids in between those two. And um, that's, just, that's just what we got. Well, you know, we're, I, I only mention that because I want, I want you to know, because I know that you're probably in a place in your life uh, that you might be you know, willing to admit that, that you need rest. And I want to identify with you and say, I understand the feeling of needing rest, of wanting to be at rest. There's a lot of things going on in our world. There's a lot of things going on in our lives, and we, need, we feel the need. We have a longing for rest, except my daughter Opal. She, uh, no matter what time she gets up in the morning or, or, or how late it is that she goes to bed, she refuses to acknowledge that she is tired and that she needs to rest. She refuses to acknowledge it. And so we have to talk with her, and, and she'll lay in bed, but if, if we leave her, she'll be singing, and, and it just doesn't matter. She refuses to acknowledge it. And you might be like that. You might love the work that you do and the busyness of your schedule, and you just, you have a hard time admitting when you're tired and when you want to rest. But when you're in your right mind, like the rest of us know, we need rest. We need rest. We need rest. Everybody say rest. Rest. Oh, when you say that word, what comes to your mind? Vacation, maybe? Maybe, uh, maybe a nap? Maybe retirement? Maybe, if you're an athlete, maybe halftime speaks of rest. Maybe, um, you know, uh, maybe it's uh, a recliner, a soft, cushy recliner. Maybe it's all of those things that you think about when you say the word rest. We long for rest. I've titled this message, The Road to Rest, because I believe we're on a road to find rest, and, we're, and it's, it's a kind of rest that, that maybe we're not thinking of in, in the moment right now. But we do long for rest, whether it's from the demands of our day or the, the week at work that we've had. It could be the, the problems that we're having at home or maybe the anxieties that keep us up at night. How crazy is that? We have things that, that actually keep us from resting when we're, when we're trying to go to sleep, like anxieties or maybe the guilt that weighs us down. Maybe there's people in your life that you need rest from. There could be all sorts of different reasons why you need rest. Maybe it's the busyness of, of, your, uh, of your schedule that has canvassed your calendar, and you just feel like you need to find rest. As we go through today's message, I want you to consider that the rest you are looking for is linked to what your heart is longing for. The rest you are looking for is linked to what your heart is longing for. When it comes to rest, are you looking for a few seconds of peace and quiet, or are you looking for Sabbath? And we'll talk about that more in a second. What is your heart longing for right now? What is your heart longing for? 
When the Bible talks about the heart of a person, it's not talking about that organ that pumps your blood. It's talking about the center of a person, the center of a person's will. So when the scriptures talk about a person's heart, that's what they're referring to, what the writers are referring to. The Proverbs chapter 27, verse 19 says, So in a mirror, as in a mirror, a face reflects face, so a person's heart reveals the person. Or maybe in today's language, as your selfie camera reveals your face, so your, your heart reveals who you are as a person. What your heart is longing for is linked to the rest that you are looking for. Is your heart open or hard toward the things of God? Now, to help us get a better idea of what's going on in our psalm here today, Psalm 95, we need to back up. We need to back way up to the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus is the second book of the Bible, and it primarily tells the story of Moses and the Israelites and how they were delivered from slavery from Egypt, in Egypt. And they, and they were on a journey after that point, uh, this journey in the wilderness. They were liberated from slavery, and they were promised a land that would bring them peace and prosperity and ultimately God's rest. They were on the road to rest. As I mentioned before, we long for rest, and so did the people of Israel. They cried out in Egypt to the Lord, longing for rest. The first time we hear about rest is even further back in the book of Genesis, when the story is told of creation. In six days, God created the world, and on the seventh day, He rested. That's right. He rested. We call that Sabbath. Sabbath. Sabbath, yes, you've probably heard of that word. It's the time where we cease from doing work. Yes, that is true. And it's certainly not just a day to be lazy or just to not do anything. Sabbath is not a time where we just disengage all responsibilities. That's not what the Sabbath is for. One writer puts it this way, rest, Sabbath rest is an engagement without obstacles, not a disengagement without responsibilities. It's an engagement without obstacles, not disengagement without responsibilities. God doesn't check out on the Sabbath, all right? He actually stops his work so he can begin engaging with his creation in a fresh new way. One way of looking at it is that he stops the work of building the house so he can start fully living in the home. So he experiences Sabbath, he experiences rest on the seventh day. And the people of Israel are promised a land where they can engage without the obstacle of slavery, to live a life of wholeness and peace. This is God's rest. The people of Israel are on the road to rest. And it's not long after they are delivered from Egypt when they cross through the Red Sea on dry land. And it's not long after that that they find themselves camping in the desert with no water to drink. And they start to get really thirsty. And you know what it's like to get really thirsty. And you can't find water. And you go to the concession stand, and the water bottles are $5. And you start to get really frustrated. And you think, there's no way in my right mind I would ever pay $5. And you start to pull out your wallet because you need the water. Well, the Israelites are so thirsty 
and they need water. And their response is to start talking amongst themselves, to start complaining about the situation they're in. Why are we here? Why aren't we back in Egypt? And they begin to get so upset. Eventually, some people get so mad that the complaining winds up in the ears of Moses. They quarrel with Moses. The scriptures say that Moses replies, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? It says they grumbled against Moses, asking, Why did you bring us and our children and our livestock out here to die? Why did we even have to leave Egypt in the first place? They have a very short-term memory. Why did we have to leave Egypt? So God instructs Moses. God wants to satisfy thirst. This is clear in in this story. God instructs Moses to take a staff, stand before the rock of Horeb, and strike the rock, and water will flow from the rock for the people to drink. And Moses does this. In Exodus 17, verse 7 says this, And he called the place Massah, which means testing, and Meribah, which means quarreling, because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord among us or not? And they were grumbling, grumbling, quarreling, testing, trying. The pattern of grumbling and complaining would continue for years. Eventually, God would tell Moses that he wouldn't bring them into the promised land to his rest until the first generation had died off. Then 40 years later, the people of Israel are again camping in the desert, and they need water to drink. And lo and behold, they are thirsty, and guess what? They're not happy about it. So the Bible says in Numbers chapter 20 that the people quarrel with Moses. Instead of thinking like their parents did, that Moses brought them out in the desert to die, they wonder if it would have been better for them to have died like their parents did in the wilderness. They too asked why Moses brought them out of Egypt. And if their parents had a short-term memory, I don't know what kind of memory they had, whatever their parents told them. But they were grumbling about their situation. This time, Moses is told by God to speak to the rock. And when he does, water will flow out for all the people. Except Moses doesn't speak to the rock. He calls out to the people and says, Listen, you rebels, must we bring water from this rock? Then Moses struck the rock twice with his staff. Water did gush out, and the community and their livestock were satisfied with thirst. It was after this occasion that Moses himself would not be allowed to take the people into the promised land to enter God's rest. The writer said in verse 13, these were the waters of Meribah, which means quarreling, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and where he was proved holy among them. Two stories of rebellion bookends on the Israelites' journey in the wilderness. Two stories of thirsty grumbling that symbolize and represent the rebellion of the people of Israel. 
And it's these two stories of grumbling and complaining and quarreling with Moses that draw our attention back to Psalm 95. The psalm could be described as an Exodus song, for in it we see God as deliverer, and we see God as the one who cares for his people, like God did in Exodus, delivering the Israelites from slavery in Egypt and caring for the people in the wilderness. And it's because of these things about God and the things that he does and does for us and who he is that we worship him. And it's the reason why the psalmist can say in verse 1 of chapter 95, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. This, right here, these verses, are a clear call to worship, a call to sing before the Lord. It's a call to the community of Israel. Come, let us sing before God. It's a call for them to come before the Lord and sing, to shout to the rock of their salvation, or the rock of deliverance, or as one translator puts it, the rock of rescue. They're called to sing to this God. This probably goes without saying, but when we sing to someone or of someone, we are demonstrating that our attention has been given to them. There's some pretty common ways this happens. Think about the song, Happy Birthday. When we all collectively sing Happy Birthday, we are drawing our attention. Maybe it's to the cake, but we're drawing our attention to the person who is receiving the cake, the person who has the birthday. It's the love song. It's the breakup song. Whatever the song is, it's giving attention to the person being sung about. The kids and I have an album that we like to listen to, um, and the whole album, it's, it's a fairly, you know, it's, it's new. It's, it's the kids, it's new music. They like, they like it. It's good. I like it too. Um, but the whole album is committed to songs written to the girl that broke up with the singer. So every song, and you just feel the emotion, and you just feel the the pain that he's in and the sadness that he's experiencing. When you sing about a person, whether it's positive or negative, you are showing that you are drawing attention to them, that they have your attention. The Psalms are filled with songs that give attention to the Lord, that give tribute to God. And Psalm 95 is one of them. It's a praise psalm, a psalm boasting about who God is and what he has done with and in the lives of the people. And the people are called to sing about it. Well, we see what he's done. He's delivered them. We know that. He, he's delivered them. He's, he's cared for them. And they're called to sing. Has God delivered you? Think about that for a second. When, when was the last time you considered that, that God is delivering God and that he has delivered you from something? And does that deliverance from something compel you to sing to God? Because that's what the psalmist is encouraging. They experience deliverance 
through, through God, and they are called to sing to God. Verse 2 says, let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Coming before God with thanksgiving is more than just saying, thank you, God. The idea here is that it is a thanks offering or a praise offering. Another way of saying is that it is a sacrifice of praise. Offering a sacrifice of praise is something that we can do today. As Hebrews 13, verse 15 says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly praise His name. The people of God are called to sing to God, their deliverer, with a thanks offering, a sacrifice of praise. And then the psalmist gives an emphasis for why they are called to do this, why they should come and sing. He says, come let us sing, for the Lord is the great God, verse 3. For the Lord is the great God, the King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he has made it, and his hands formed the dry land. We sing to God, the psalmist says, not just because God is good, but because he is greater than all the other gods. Verse 3, for the Lord is the great God, the king above all gods. In the times when the Old Testament was written, it was very common to believe in multiple gods. Although I shouldn't be so quick to let us off the hook. We have our own idols. We have our own gods that we worship but it was a little different for them. It looked different. The other gods ruled over different parts of creation and ruled in in different ways. And if you wanted to be on the good side of the gods, then you should worship them. The people of Israel had to wrestle with the temptation to worship these other false gods. However, Israel's God was better. The psalmist makes a point to say that he is the great God, the king above all gods. doesn't even mess around with trying to refute or say there's no other gods. Just say, no, no, God's just better. Better than any of the gods that you might find yourself worshiping. Better than any of the other gods that you might be afraid of. God's bigger and better than all of that. And you want to know how and why? It's because he made the things that those gods are supposed to rule over. He actually created them. His hands are in the depths of the earth. He's at the mountain peaks. He has created the sea, has made the sea, and formed the dry land, the psalmist says. He is the great God. The psalmist helps the people see how great the God of Israel is. Those other gods might rule over realms, but God rules over them all. The Creator God has His hands as far and as wide over creation because He has made it. I wonder if the psalmist is trying to help his hearers understand that the more you come and sing and give your worship and your attention to God, the less those other false gods will interest you. The more that you come and worship the true God, the less you'll be interested in those other false gods. 
I love the way that Andy Squires, a musician, describes this idea when talking about a life directed to God. He says, We do not enter our ascetic practices in order that we might get closer to God. We do so that we might put a greater distance between ourselves and the gods of other kingdoms. When we get closer to God, when we are spending time with the Lord, when we are worshiping, when we are singing to God, we're putting a greater distance between those other gods that might have our attention. That's why it's so important that we come and we gather and we worship and we sing together. The psalm is making a move to help his readers get this, to help them understand it. The more you worship God, the more you'll understand He is better. And He will have your full attention. You know what this is like when you have your phone, right, in a conversation, conversation with someone else, but you're holding your phone? Oftentimes, if I am in a, in a conversation where I don't care about, and I'm just, like, not intentionally not caring about, but I realize I'm not really interested in the conversation, I realize that I might be distracted on my phone. But the more that I want to actually be in a conversation that I care about, when I realize I should care about this, I'm in a conversation with a real person, the more distance I want to put my phone in, as far in my pocket as I can, maybe leave it in the car or somewhere else in the house so that I can give attention to my kids or to my wife or to the people that I'm talking to. And it's the same way when we come to worship. I mean, I'm not saying anything about your phones right now. I'm just saying that when we come to worship and give our attention to God, the more distance we're putting those things that might otherwise capture our attention and our worship. Singing, shouting, and offering sacrifices of praise reveals a heart that is longing for God. And here in these verses, we see the obedient expressions of an open heart. The obedient expressions of an open heart. What is true for the community of Israel is true for us today. God is worth singing to. And singing itself is an expression and a demonstration of an open heart. When we sing, we are vulnerable. When we sing, we are free. When we sing, we are opening up ourselves to the one receiving the song. When we sing with others, we are vulnerable and free, and we are also united in drawing our attention to God. Singing is not really an option. If you read the Psalms, if you read the Scriptures, you'll see that it is a command that's given over and over and over again. Sing to the Lord. For some of you, that might be the most convicting thing you've heard this whole message. Sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord is not a suggestion. It's not a metaphor for something else. It's a call to make a joyful melody, whether it sounds good or bad, from our mouths to our God. We shout. We sing. We play music because we worship the Lord. We sing and shout and praise because God is wor worth the best offering we've got. These obedient expressions continue in verse 6. Come, he says, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. He says, come, let us bow down. 
This is another obedient expression of an open heart. When we bow, we demonstrate humility. We are recognizing who is the greater in the relationship. We also, in this obedient expression, offer our whole bodies to God, not just our good thoughts. This is really important because when we come to a church service like the one that we're in or the one that we're watching, we have the opportunity to sing and to shout and to bow down. Other psalms talk about laying down or raising hands or clapping hands. The list goes on. But these aren't just things that we do to look like we're into it. Yeah, some other people do it, and it's, you know, that's just what they do. And if I did it, I'd just be like playing a part, but it's not that. They are physical expressions, obedient ones, that demonstrate our whole self being offered before God. When we raise our hands, we're acknowledging, my hands are open, my hands are empty. I've got nothing to offer you but myself. When we bow, we're demonstrating our humility, that God is so much greater than us. And when the psalmist calls the people of Israel to come and to bow down, he is, he is calling them to give of themselves in surrender, to trust in the one who takes care of them. And the psalmist gives another emphasis after calling people to come. He says, come, let us bow down and worship for he is our God. This is the second time this happens in this psalm. He says to come, and then he says, for he is our God. Where the first part of the psalm addresses God as this cosmic delivering God who is over all the other gods, this part of the psalm addresses God as the personal God who shepherds his people like they are the flock under his care. He is the one who cares for his people. The Bible is filled with examples of God as our shepherd. The people of Israel understood this firsthand when they were in the wilderness. Every day God provided food for them to eat. Every day God's presence was with them. And yet so often they rebelled. So often they did not come and bow down. They did not come with an open heart, kneeling before the Lord, their maker. That is why when the story of rebellion comes up here in Psalm 95, it feels so abrupt. It's like a song going from a major key to a minor key. As we continue in verse 7, the writer of this psalm shifts gears in verse 7 because he wants to remind his readers of the unrest they experience when they are not trusting in God. We start with the word today in verse 7. Today, if only you would hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, which means quarreling, as you did that day at Massah, which means testing in the wilderness. Where your ancestors tested me, they tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Did you notice that in this psalm, God takes the mic here? The psalmist is calling the people to come. And then God takes the mic in verse 8. 
Your ancestors tested and tried me. They saw what I did, though. They saw how I delivered them. I was angry with them. Their hearts went astray and didn't know my ways, so I declared they shall never enter my rest. Here we see the disobedient distractions of a hardened heart. The disobedient distractions of a hardened heart. Earlier, we saw in the Exodus stories how they grumbled and quarreled and tested the Lord. Here in this psalm, the story is revisited. It is obvious because it is a callback to the bookends of rebellion, Meribah, which means quarreling, Masa, which means testing. They did not show gratitude and trust. They grumbled in the dust, a pattern that resulted for them in unrest. The psalmist reminds his readers of the unrest they could potentially experience when they do not trust in God. And this is probably way too simple. I, I acknowledge it's way too simple, but I think it's a good start, is that if you're looking for rest in God, it will be linked to a heart that is longing to trust in God. If you're looking for, tr- for rest in God, it will be linked to a heart that is longing to trust in God. Where are you placing your trust right now? With whom are you placing your trust? You see, our trust finds His rest. Our trust in Him finds His rest for us. And that is part of the point of Sabbath in general is that we can cease our work and take a day, take a time, and trust in the Lord to provide peace, to provide, to comfort. My my trust finds His rest. We long for peace with God. We long for peace with one another. This is the kind of kingdom that God wants to build, and if we're not careful, we can forfeit our role in this. What are the disobedient distractions of a hardened heart? It's when I worry about tomorrow instead of worshiping God today. It's when I grumble about my situation instead of being grateful for His supply. It's when we fear the desert is going to dry us up when all the while there is a rock sitting in the middle of the sand waiting to satisfy our thirst and give us rest. The psalm concludes in verse 11, So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. The psalmist wants to make a point that God was not pleased with the grumbling and the quarreling and the testing and the trying. And then... It's over. The psalm ends. And I'm going to be honest with you. When I looked at this psalm after I agreed to, uh, to, to, to preach on the text, I was a little disappointed. I, I wanted it to come back around, for he is the great God, the great king above all gods, with an exclamation point. But that's not what happens. But when you look at the psalm, you realize the story isn't over. It wasn't over for the people of Israel hearing the psalm. The story was not over for them, and I can show you in one word how this is the case. Look at the word in the middle of verse 7. 
today. Today, if only you would hear his voice. Today. Not tomorrow. Not sorry, you're too late. You missed your chance, it was yesterday. Today. There's a lot of significance in the word today. The scriptures, and especially Moses, call the people to consider today, to remember today. Because today, for those reading the psalm, knew that they were receiving a right now moment of grace invitation to come to the Lord today. The the psalm does not end in hopelessness. It actually ends with hope. The story was not over for them, and the story is not over for us either. Today, if only you would hear his voice. Today. The book of Hebrews, and I wish I had so much more time for us to mine Hebrews on this The end of chapter 3 and all of chapter 4 are about Psalm 95. He just keeps going back to Psalm 95. It's it's fabulous. Take some time over the rest of of your week to read Psalm uh, to Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. But I just want to point out one thing. In response to the psalm, the writer of Hebrews says it like this, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. It is still today. You are living in today, right now. So what will you choose? Watched the Olympics, uh, you know, last month or so uh, with the family, and sometimes we would catch some events, sometimes we wouldn't. But I did catch the 4 by 200 uh, women's relay in the pool. And you probably heard the name Katie Ledecky. She had earlier uh, competed in a race where she had disappointing fifth, but she was the anchor in this relay race. And the Americans were not expected to do hardly anything in this relay. But Katie Ledecky was the anchor leg, and they were behind, but she ran an incredibly fast race and surprised everyone and came within just fingertips of the gold. And after the race, she was, and the team was interviewed, and she said all these great things about the other swimmers, about the other swimmers on the team. And then she finished with this, and it's been stuck in my head ever since I heard it. I wish I had another half second in me, but I gave it my all. I wish I had another half second in me. Now call it what you want. Call it God giving you another half second or call it today. But today is a right now moment of grace invitation calling you to come and receive God's rest. We all need rest. We're longing for rest. And if your heart is longing for God, you will find rest in God because they're linked together. They can't be separated. What you long for is linked to the rest that you're looking for. And if you are longing for God, you will find rest in Him. He does not disappoint. 
So what about today? How are you encouraging one another toward finding God's rest? How are you encouraging those around you to find God's rest? What are the stories that you tell about God to your neighbor? What are the stories that you tell about God and about God's faithfulness to the next generation? What are the things that you repost? What are the stories that you share? What is, what is it about God that you want to communicate to those around you? How do you encourage them to find God's rest? There's a lot of unrest in our world today, and you and I are sitting here on the road to rest. We have the opportunity to come before the Lord and to trust in Him, to be a part of receiving the rest that Jesus provides. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Jesus, our Savior, the one who died for us and rose again so that we could have life, so that we could know rest in our God. Today, today, what will you do with today? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your faithfulness to us. And I thank you that you continue to show your goodness to us. Thank you that even when Moses struck the rock, you still poured out your grace by giving the people water. And I pray that you would help us, God, to, re to realize that and to receive your grace, knowing that even in the midst of unrest, even in the midst of our own grumbling, you are still a gracious God, and you want us to experience what you have in store for us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to look to you. I pray that you would help us to seek you first, that our attention would be drawn to you, as the psalmist says, that we would come before you with singing, with shouts, with praise, Lord, may you be blessed by our song, and may we rejoice in our salvation and our deliverance. We thank you for being our peace and our hope and our King. In Jesus' name, amen. It's my prayer that wherever it is you are, Pastor Jason's sermon spoke to you today. I pray you're more aware of the longings of your heart and what God wants you to do with those longings and that you will seek Him and find rest in Him today. God bless you, and I hope you have a wonderful week. We'll see you next weekend. Thank you so much for joining us for worship today. Have a great week, and we'll see you next weekend.